making a choice to bootstrap means that you're doing something for yourself, right? So why not have it be something that you want to look at and be totally proud of and not think that you're leaving something off or, or half done? Hey, hey, it's the Productized Podcast. My name is Brian Castle. Thank you for tuning in today, as always. I'm talking to Henry Poydar. He's the founder of Status Hero. It's a little SaaS app, software as a service tool for teams who uh, need to get status updates from their fellow teammates. Really great for development teams to kind of a a replacement for the daily standup so that they can give a status update into Slack, over email, whatever whatever you need. Um, I've been using it off and on and and really enjoyed it. But today, we're talking about his story of how he bootstrapped this thing, how he transitioned out of uh, working in larger organizations and then into consulting and then you know starting up his own software business all coded himself with some help from others but yeah it's been a, an interesting story uh, successfully bootstrapping from from start to finish over the last three years and uh, yeah a lot of lessons learned along the way this was a good one enjoy it here's my conversation with Henry Poydar from Status Hero. I'm here with Henry Poydar, founder of StatusHero.com. Henry, how's it going? It's going well. Thanks for having me. All right. So, uh, so you've been at Status Hero for a couple of years now. How do you introduce it? What, what is Status Hero, and yeah, how do you describe it? Status Hero is a check-in tool for software teams. Um, it allows managers to collect daily updates from each of their team members. Um, daily goals, and it merges that in with activity logs from all of the software tools that you can think about, like Jira and GitHub and things like that, and generates a report of what everybody's working on and distributes it to the whole team. Yeah, very cool. I, you know, I've been using it off and on for a while, and I found it really helpful to work with my developers. And I guess that's primarily what it's what it's used for, right? Is, is like development teams to get that daily kind of status update without having to be like, hey, what are you working on right now? And kind of, you know, not like nagging everyone on the team. It, it kind of just prompts them. And then, and yeah, I really liked the, uh, the Slack integration, how it, you know, it shows the digest and it prompts you on Slack too. Yeah. Very cool. And the idea is also to eliminate um, meetings if you can, because generally um, stand-up meetings are loathed by developers in the first place. And now that there's so many teams that are working remotely across time zones and things like that, it's really hard to hold them. It's really hard to get the tech right and get everybody to meet on the same Zoom call or whatever. And so this takes care of collecting all that information um, asynchronously and having to have a Yeah, totally. So like before we, we dive back into the story of, of how you started this thing and bootstrapped it and, and built it up, can you give us like a picture of what it, what it looks like today? You know, here we are in the kind of the summer of 2018. How many years have you been at it? How many people are you working with? Any sense of size in terms of customers or revenue or anything like that? Sure. Um, so the first paid customer was in July of 2015. And I would say 2015, Status Hero was underwater. I'd say 2016, it was even. And I'd say 2017 is when it started making money. So three years in, um, i trying to think of the best way to size up. Um, Status Hero is priced per seat by user. And so each team pays a different amount based on how many users they have. Monthly revenue is around 50K top line right now, three years in. 20% of that is uh, enterprise sales. So uh, if you look at the pricing page on the Status Hero, there's an enterprise plan that doesn't have prices, and that's 
sold basically by me talking to big enterprise clients and, and selling one, two year annual contracts. Yeah. Very nice. And, and uh, how many people are you working with and on your team? Yeah. So there's a remote team of mostly part-time folks. I'm probably the, the primary developer because uh, that's my background and what I like doing the most. Um, although some of that gets farmed out. Um, I work with uh, some writers, designers, part-time basis, but uh, everybody's remote. Uh, nobody's sitting in the same office. And so it's a small team and uh, that's by design. Plan on keeping it that way. Yeah, very cool. So I, I'm actually curious, like again, before we get into the, the early days of status here, like today, you mentioned that you're doing most of the sales calls and, and the enterprise, enterprise sales and, and things like that. Like how, how much time does that actually require from you as the founder? And like, what does that actually look like in terms of day to day? Yeah. Um, well, at the beginning, it required a lot of time. And then I, I, I'm an engineer, so I try and automate all the things all the time. And so I've automated the process as much as I can. You can't automate getting on the phone and talking to somebody. Sure. But that comes naturally to me because the people I'm selling to, I've been in their shoes before. So I understand where they're coming from. I understand their needs. And after that, it's a question of going through a procurement process, which I've done before. And a lot of that can be automated. So uh, touch points for lawyers on agreements, quote letters, invoices, all that kind of stuff um, is scripted, a lot of it. And then in terms of the product itself, you know, three years in, it, it, is the feature set, is the roadmap like fairly established at this point or are you really actively hammering out new features right now? If I could do nothing else, I would just sit and build new features. So my team and I use this every day. I use it with um, a mastermind group as well. And I, I do spend actually quite a bit of time in customer support because, well, for a couple of reasons. One is that it's been a great sales channel for me. Um, when you're talking to somebody uh, over, even just over chat and uh, they're in a trial, they're, they're talking to a real person and that, that's a meaningful interaction. And uh, more often than not, it leads to a, a positive outcome and a subscription. And we'll get into pricing as well, but are you doing a free trial or freemium? And, and when you say customer support, like are you talking about pre-sales questions or existing customers? Or Yeah, good, good question. Uh, so there's a free 21-day trial with a, a bunch of messages that are automated via intercom that come from, directly from me. So when people reply to them, I get them. And I do try and respond and not delegate those for the folks that are in trial. Uh, after that, you can sign up for a subscription, although we extend trials all the time, particularly for big enterprise customers, 21 days is just not enough for them. Yeah. That seems to be like a not so talked about, very common tactic sure. with SaaS these days. I mean, that everyone goes back and forth between the, should we have a forever free plan versus just a free trial? That, that is a good middle ground is to have a, a free trial and then just really offer like an extension a couple of weeks to, to keep people engaged. Yeah, I mean, I, I often get asked about a freemium plan. We have a very low-priced basic plan, which is essentially only email check-ins without integrations and stuff like that. And I think that's probably only 10 or 15% of the business because most people want the integrations and stuff like that. And I've thought about freemium a lot, but you know, I've, I've heard some horror stories about it. I know that Bear Metrics went and tried it, and I, I read about that on, on Josh's blog. And I just decided that's not something, um, the, the trade-offs weren't worth it for me. And I don't think they are for status here in the way it's sold, especially how high touch I like to be in the beginning when somebody's in their trial. And also I noticed which trial extensions are often lead qualifiers. So you know that people are, especially at bigger companies, are interested if um, a trial extension is, is something that keeps them aboard. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it shows that they're actually engaged and they, and they really do want to use it you know, for, for a little while longer because if they weren't engaged, they would, they would have just walked away. That's right. Very cool. So yeah, let's go back. Like, What were you doing before Status Hero? Well, I went to a mechanical engineering school and I thought that I was going to be a rocket scientist. But while I was there, I ended up doing a lot of 3D animation work. And this is pre-internet days. You had email, but that was it. Um, and so when I graduated, I started doing some 3D animation work and I thought I was going to be a 3D animator. And then the web came along and then I started learning more about HTML. And I had taken a lot of computer science classes as part of my engineering degree. So I dove right in and ended up building some very early websites with gray backgrounds and text files as databases <laughs> for my band back in the day. Nice. And then moved on to... Yeah, <laughs> uh, just general web consulting. And uh, through the dot-com boom, I ended up uh, at a big management consulting firm working with very big brands on um, kind of first-generation web presences and first-generation e-commerce stuff. And then after the dot-com boom, dot -com boom, I got very tired of working for very large organizations. And, and I mean, you were doing like, like back-end development, database development? Or? Yeah, I, I, I was lucky. I got into the web at a time where um, you could get um, where full stack really actually meant something. So in order to put something together, you really had to be a full stack person because nobody, it was the paths weren't, uh, weren't there yet for people to just rely on each other for different components. You just had to put it together yourself. I mean, I feel like that's like a, a maybe just a couple of years before I got in, maybe, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 years ago, I, I started my career at a web agency working with major global brand websites, but I, I was in uh, as a front-end person, front-end HTML, CSS, even like when, when CSS was just starting to really, like no more table-based layouts, now we do CSS kind of, you know, and, <laughs> and, um, right. and that, was like, that was like my entry point into the web world, but then I stuck with the front-end for all the years since, and I'm only now, in 2018, like getting over my fear of touching databases, basically. <laughs> you know, I, I wish I got, it, got more into like the full stack uh, when I was, you know, a few years back. But yeah, I, I was fortunate enough to be exposed to that and to have, you know, the engineering chops to be able to do it. But I do remember that very well. I remember the days of working with designers and, you know, a designer would hand over a Photoshop file, and cut it up and put it into these tables or something terrible like cold fusion or something like that and <laughs> right. get it deployed and deploys would take all day and it was uh, a lot slower the feedback loop was a lot slower than it is today so i think you're learning at, at the right time yeah because um there's a lot more tools out there there's things like rails that sort of um help you learn all these things and become more more rounded i think just by learning this one framework that's that's what i've been trying to learn the last couple of months is rails yeah so, I mean, back then, like you're working for, for a large management consulting firm, doing some, some early web work. I mean, did the thought of like someday going out on your own and starting your own thing play into it at that point or, or like you didn't have that intention until later? No, no, no. I, I mean, I was thinking that every day, you know, getting on a plane every day, every week on a Sunday and coming back on a Friday is a really uh, tough way to live. And I didn't want to do that. And I was doing that. So I was thinking about that all the time. and and. When I left, I went into the startup world and I started acting as a CTO or the tech guy or the tech lead for really early stage startups. So kind of like you, you got into consulting with, with other startups for... That's right. And finally ended up in a situation where I was the CTO of an angel back startup. And after a bunch of, I guess I'd say failures along in, on the startup road, 
Um, this one was actually not a hit, but it, but it was doing very well. Um, we presented at TechCrunch, this is back in 2008, 2009, when Web 2.0 was, was kind of coming around, I guess, the term, term du jour back then. And that company was eventually sold to uh, a larger company, um, Constant Contact, which is an email marketing firm. Yep. And so I uh, opened a New York office for Constant Contact and worked there for three years, essentially taking the tech from the, our old startup and merging it into their giant stack. Yeah, wow. So, um, that, and actually, the, the, the other company was a CRM tool. We had a, we had a CRM tool called Bantam Live, and it had a real-time activity stream and it integrated with Twitter and did all kinds of things that were very um, cutting edge for back then. Yeah. And Constant Contact was, was looking for a way to um, upgrade their contact management components within their architecture. Interesting. And so they, they bought us up, and then I spent three years integrating that tech with a, with a distributed team. So you were kind of like the CTO of that, of that startup, which, and then... Yeah, that's right. And that was a Rails, Rails app, by the way. So introduced uh, Rails and, uh, to, uh, at scale to Constant Contact, and it's still running there today. It's one of the largest Rails apps out there. I mean, what were some of the, like, obviously now you're, you're in this, uh, you know, work from home kind of, you know, bootstrapped startup scene. Like, how does that compare to, first of all, working at, at like the angel batch startup, but then a, a large organization like, like Constant Contact? Yeah. Well, it, one of the things I noticed when I, when I went to Constant Contact originally was that the signal to noise ratio completely inverted, right? So when you're in the startup world, you know, back then anyway, nine or 10, nine out of 10 emails mattered. It was something that you needed to pay attention to. And then even when you go and work for a big company, especially these days, one out of 10 emails matter. <laughs> and so it's, <laughs> I, I learned that lesson the hard way because I was, um, I do a good job and I was in a management role at that point. So I was trying to, to, to soak it all in, but it was a fire hose. Um, and it's almost impossible to do so. So you, so you kind of hone another skill, which is learning how to tune some of this stuff out. So I would say that's the biggest, biggest lesson learned. Um, I mean, I, I've never really worked at a huge organization. Like I, I had a couple of jobs at like agencies that were between 20 and 30 people, but I've never been in a hundred or multi-hundred person organization. I mean, is it just like meeting after meeting and like just emails about administration BS that just doesn't matter? Like what, what is it that makes it so kind of bloated and slow? Yeah, it's all of that. It's meeting after meeting. Um, there's different priorities. There's competing agendas at big companies between different departments and functional parts of the organization. People are, are I wouldn't say, I wouldn't go far as to say people are after themselves, but there's definitely personal agendas at work all the time. Right. And so um, people are watching out for their careers and they're trying to, to move agendas forward. And um, when there's a lot of people involved and need to get consensus for big decisions, things slow down. Yeah, wow. I mean, I'm starting to sense kind of the seed of what Status Hero is all about, of like streamlining communication and reducing meetings and things like that. Is that is that kind of where that where that started? Yeah, that's exactly right. I, and, but I, you know, that when I was saying before, one out of every ten emails matters. I think we're starting to see that kind of distraction flow into the startup world as well. Yeah, with tools like Slack and stuff like that. And not to to knock Slack, but you know, it, it's kind of ironic that. As software developers, in order to to get stuff done, or, or any creative person, and I count software developers as creative people, in order to do deep work, um, you you need to isolate yourself from distractions. And it's the only way it happens. 
But ironically, we're all working on software that's designed because capitalists who were in business to grab people's attention. That's kind of funny. Right. At, at the time that we need work to sit down and, and we're working things that are to go out and, and capture attention. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a tough, uh, it's a tough line to, to walk these days. Like, especially when you're right, like we, in order to get work done, we need to, <laughs> we, we can't be distracted. And like when we're consuming or, or buying apps or buying software, we just want to get in and get out and try it. But if you're trying to sell a piece of software, like you've got to get that attention somehow, right? You've got to make that connection. Right. It's tough and it's more competitive than ever. Yeah. But I, I actually, like before, before you left the consulting world and, and then you're with Constant Contact, I mean, before Status Hero, did you have anything else that you were, you know, trying to launch on the side or, or things that you, you got into before? Yeah. I, when, I, when I left Constant Contact, I had this kind of naive vision that I was going to launch a, a series of SaaS apps that were in line with my interests. So I had an app called Ski Juice which would um, merge um, real-time data from Instagram, which is pictures with um, ski area weather information. Oh, that's cool. I'd buy that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, so you can see, okay, well, this ski area is saying there's, this is what the conditions are, and this is what the pictures look like from people who are there. That was the, the genesis of that. Then Instagram changed their API, and that became worthless overnight. Um, I had an app for a long time called Poker Charts that I've since sold, and that was a, like a mint type app for poker players that kept track of poker bankrolls. Oh, wow. So I, I had grand visions of building that up. And then Status Hero was really kind of uh, one of those things when I left Constant Contact and I was starting to do some consulting work again, working with remote team members. And I, I just needed this, this tool. And um, I cobbled together a bunch of scripts that I was using at Constant Contact, as a matter of fact, just trying to, to figure out what everybody was doing amongst all of the... the uh, pull requests and commits and at that time hip chat messages and, and stuff like that, just trying to understand what, what remote team members are doing. And I realized that it was something that, that a lot of people needed. Um, and I was getting asked about it a lot. And that's when I decided to, to spend some time and really focus on turning it into a product. You know, I'm curious. I mean, again, even before the status hero idea, but you know, the, the ski, ski juice and the poker app, I mean, there are a lot of software developers out there who can build any app, anything that matches their interests and whatnot, like, right. like you did. But I mean, it sounds like the, you actually launched and shipped and, and had customers on those things too, right? Like, I did, yeah. How did you get those out there as a, you know, as uh, you, you're just kind of beginning your entrepreneurial part of your career at this point? Sure. Like anyone can just build an app, but how did you actually start to get it out there and get, and get customers, even a, a poker app to get to the point where you could sell it? Right. So with, with the Ski Juice app, I was um, using, I was harvesting pictures from Instagram, but I was letting the people know that I was using their pictures. Oh, right. And so that was uh, an acquisition channel for that. Um, with Poker Charts, I had had a version of that app running since 2003. The original version was written in PHP. Wow. <laughs> and then uh, I rewrote it in Rails I think in 2012 or something like that. It was always a side project, um, and I always do kind of side project work for customer acquisition. And it never, it never really got, took off. I thought, oh, I'll spend some time and really market this thing and, and have it take off. But uh, I found it really hard to market in the poker world because, um, first off, like just buying paid traffic is hard. Like Google won't let you go buy oh, yeah. uh, something with poker. You know, it was gambling and stuff like that. So, so that was hard. Um, 
And also, I wasn't playing as much poker anymore. <laughs> so I, I lost a little bit of, of interest in it. But yeah, so I, I, was, I was experimenting a lot on forums and referral. But with all of my ventures, the, the best acquisition channel has always been referral. And with Status or I, I'm just in, uh, I'm networked into the you know, software developer, software manager kind of world. And so I know those people and, it, and, it, and, and through that community, I've, I've really gained the base of the, the customers. Very nice. So at the time that you started Status here, were you moonlighting this or did you leave Constant Contact and go full time on this right away? Like what did that look like? Yeah. So I, I left Constant Contact, did nothing for a while. Um, and then I, I did another rewrite of Poker Charts and shipped it. And then I started working on Status Hero full time. Um, I think at that time I was also doing Ski Juice. So I was probably splitting my time between those two things. And, you know, I, I'm not a great multitasker. And I actually don't think there's such a thing as good multitasking. So, you know, when I say working on two things, it, it meant it be like a sprint, like a week or two weeks on one and then completely leave it and go a week or two weeks on something else. So yeah, I think at, at, at the time I was probably only doing one or two of those things at once. I'm always curious about people's plans at the time. Like when, you, yeah. when, when you're setting out to launch Status Hero and do a couple of these other apps on the side, like what were you looking at in terms of runway and like what did you expect to, <laughs> to happen over the next year and things like that? Yeah, I mean, I, I expected it to be a lot more successful, a lot faster. <laughs> it's like the story of everybody. Everybody does. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, you know, it doesn't matter how many podcasts you listen to where, you know, everybody says it's not like that. You know, I thought, well, oh, it will be for me. My notes say it right here. How could it yeah. not be? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So um, the first year was really hard because, you know, I could kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel and the customer feedback was amazing, but it, it just wasn't making enough money. And I was still doing some consulting work to make ends meet and stuff like that. Um, I had a little cushion from Constant Contact and that acquisition too, which helped a lot. But I kind of knew that if I stuck with it, it would turn around. Well, what were the, like the very first things that you did? Like, did you start by building a prototype of the app and then showing it to people? Or did you not write a line of code and get and start talking to people about it? Like, what, were, what was your step one? Yeah, I did exactly what you're not supposed to do. So I didn't go out and do product market fit. I didn't go out and interview folks and come up with paper prototypes and put that in front of them. I actually built, built a working app. But I mean, someone with your skill set, I mean, it's, it's not like that's a difficult or super time consuming thing to do. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I'm lucky in that sense. I mean, like I'm the same way with like, with like a marketing site. Too. Like, yeah. you know, when I'm launching a new business, yeah, maybe I shouldn't perfect a landing page and everything, but like, it takes me just a few days to do that. Why not do that? You know? Uh, yeah. And, and um, I kind of had the tendency to not be as pragmatic as I should though. So, you know, I would, in, in your landing page analogy, I probably went too far and played with fonts a little bit too much and tweaked the palette until I liked it, you know, um, because at the end of the day, making a choice to bootstrap means that you're doing something for yourself, right? So why not have it be something that you want to look at and be totally proud of and not think that you're leaving something off or, or half done? Yeah. And these days, I mean, there is a high bar of quality and credibility that you do have to, you know, a lot of people, like, I feel like there's a misconception about MVPs and alphas and beta versions and that, it, that it's supposed to look crappy and everything. Like, it's supposed to be simple, like just focus on one or two features, but it, it should not be a piece of crap. Like, it's got to be it's got to look legit. 
and feel legit. That's exactly right. Yeah, I, I agree. And, um, you know, there, there are some things that you can do that will really expose your product. Like, for example, a product hunt launch that you're only going to really get one shot at, right? So you can't really afford to have that be the, the crappy thing. Now, I had a bad experience with that. With I had a great experience with that with ski juice. Somebody hunted ski juice and it took off and it was like 100x traffic overnight. And then with Status Hero, I'm not sure product hunt is like this today, but there's two kinds of ways you can, you can hunt for products. As an influencer, you can hunt something and then it gets put onto the homepage. And then and as an average Joe, you can hunt something and it gets lost in this like, upcoming. And I had a competitor to Status Hero hunt it in order for it to be hunted. And then purposely as not an influencer. So that would be in the sub. So it's on product hunt, but not in the way that I would, would like. I would like to get like Eaton Shaw or something to submit it rather than. Yeah. You know, product hunt is one of those things that I've never really cracked that egg. Like I just haven't spent enough time on it. And I know some people who are like quote unquote influencers on product hunt, but like, I don't know, like I, I've never really figured out the formula to have a successful launch on product hunt. Like I've, I've launched, thrown up a couple of things and it, you know, it's crickets, but um, is it kind of like luck of the draw kind of timing kind of fit for that audience and that, that kind of all plays into it? I think it's all of those things. I think there's a lot of luck involved. Um, you got to hit right people at the right time. I think that the best outcome for something in product hunt is to get somebody is to get these into your pipeline. So to get email addresses to your pipeline. I'm not sure it's trials. I'm not sure it's customers. I think it's just getting people into your pipeline because I think for a product like Status Hero, you know, nobody's ready to buy when they hit the landing page, right? You're at an awareness stage. And so you're trying to get them from awareness to evaluation. And I'm not sure Product Hunt does a great job of that. I think it just gets people to awareness and then drops off. So you have to find a way to retain them somehow. Right. Was that the first point of exposure or did you start to like get it out to people? No, I, it was, I had a private beta. That was the first exposure. I emailed my network. Just like personal contacts of yours. Personal contacts um, who I'd worked with who I thought could give me some good feedback and who I wanted to find out what they thought. And at this point, like, like you basically built kind of the core like status update functionality and the ability to email with your team. That's right. Yeah, so I'd, I'd done all that and I had crunched through all of the math to make it work um, across time zones, stuff like that. And that was, that was not an easy to time zones are. But like, how did you actually like present it? Like th- this is another area where I know a lot of people get kind of stuck. They don't really know what, how to do this the right, quote unquote, the right way. Like what was the message that you sent to these contacts and what did you ask of them? Like, did they get free access or like, what was that whole deal? Yep. So I, I, I basically, I would always couch it as I, I've got something that I think is going to help you because I truly think it does help them. You know, I've been in your position before, and this is a thing I built to address this problem that we all have, which is we've got, we're managing remote teams, we're managing distributed teams, and we're just inundated all the time with all this noise, and it's really hard to cut through it and figure out what everybody's doing. So check this out, try it out, give me some feedback, here's a free account. Um, It's in private beta right now. I'd, I'd love to chat with you about it if you can. And by the something in the onboarding status here is that I'm never trying to get a manager to come on and just onboard their entire team in one go. That's, that's usually not going to be successful for them. And so 
even in the onboarding now is the same message that I used back then with the initial users, which is just try this with one or two team members, you know, put them on there. Yeah, that is a, that is a tricky thing about team-based apps. And, and it's something that I'm thinking a lot about right now as I'm thinking about a team-based app. And it's like, um, yeah, because I know what, whenever I'm evaluating something for my team, I'm not going to invite anybody on my team until I really, you know, check it out. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's hard to get them to get that one or two people involved. Right, right. So yeah, I think that's very important. It is hard, right? What was like the initial feedback from there? The initial feedback, well, originally Status Hero was a weekly tool. So it was um, collecting things once a week. And it also was doing a pulse survey, which is a feature to bring back. So it not only collected, hey, this is what everybody's working on, and these are their goals for the upcoming week, but this is how they, they feel about the current work. So on a scale of one to 10, how do you feel about the technical quality of the work? Uh, one to 10, how do you feel about whether we're going to hit our milestones or not? I think there was one other question, like a, like a pulse survey type question. And it got, unfortunately, it, was, um, it made it really hard to explain what Status Hero did. So right now I can say automated reports for software teams. But then I was kind of struggling and tripping over myself saying, well, it's pulse surveys and it's check-ins and it's collecting all this stuff. Yeah, it kind of does this and it also does that. And Yeah, yeah. So um, I needed to, so the first thing I did based on that initial round of feedback was, was cut that feature out and then change, then double down on the original feature, which was collecting the status updates. So that became, you could, you can now pick daily, weekly, twice a week, three times a week, whatever you want. You can pick every day if you want. There's some masochist teams on there that have <laughs> every day status updates, weekends included. Wow. So when did pricing play into this process of getting it out there? Like how, how long were those beta people using it? And did you present to them? Like, here's what the price is going to be. And like, how did you roll that out? Yeah. So it was six months of that. The original folks that I tested with weren't price sensitive at all. So they were with big companies. Um, they were managing bigger teams. And so pricing was really difficult because of that, because my initial users weren't startups who were price sensitive at all. So the original pricing, like I think everybody else does, this was a total guess. And it was team-based. So I think I, my original plan was a basic plan for 20 bucks for a team per month and then up to 50 a month. And so you kind of had like tiers, like, like the, I did. Okay. I still had tiers when I launched. Yep. I had a, a basic plan and I had a, a pro plan and then I added a corporate plan when I built all the SSO stuff. Got it. And then what, what we're seeing today is a price per head. Um, and of course, pricing changes all the time, but at this recording, like I'm, I'm looking at like three per user up to seven per user. And yeah, that's right. When did you make that change to get out of the tiered into this? Yeah. So that was about a year in. I was just looking at usage patterns in the site and there were some teams that were totally gaming the system. Some remote teams, there were big development shops out of the Philippines, out of Eastern Europe that had like 200, 300 people on a team and they're paying 50 bucks. That's interesting for Status Hero. Like how could they game the system if it's all about individuals' status updates? Well, I, and again, like I don't think they were getting great use out of the tool either at that point because you're looking at a dashboard of hundreds of people on a team and like trying to sift through that report, you have the same problem that you had originally. Oh, like they put multiple people's updates in the same update, basically. Right. So what I did is at the same time, I split up Status Hero so that you could have multiple teams within a single account. And then I started charging by user. 
um, but you only charge, I only charge for each user once. So you could have a user that's on multiple teams within the same account, but they're only charged once. I, I mean, I, I've also had that question come up because I've had like the tiered approach and there's some confusion over like, well, I'm an agency, so which tier do I need depending on how many people I have? And yeah, it gets complicated. So yeah, I, I like how this kind of simplifies it. Yeah, and, and you know, it, it was tough to think through because at the time and still now, everybody advises against per seat pricing. Uh, Patrick from Price Intelligently, who I admire a lot, I've seen his talks and I think they're great. Um, he, he says that per seat pricing is something you should totally avoid unless a user is a value metric. Now, in status here, it's arguable that a user is a value metric because as a manager, you're getting a little bit of value out of each user that's reporting. So I think I kind of, within that Venn diagram of having it work. Yeah, I mean, especially since your tool is so, um, it is user, user slash team, but I don't know how to explain it, but the whole, the whole, yeah, you're right. Like the whole value is communication among the many members of your team and teams can be of any size, so. Right, but yeah, it, it, when I made that switch, it doubled the revenue overnight. It was a big change. Oh, really? It, it did? Yeah. Was, and and you applied that change to, like you didn't grandfather people in. It was I did. I just did it. And yeah, I had like probably I doubled the revenue and had an immediate ten percent cancellation churn. Yeah, um, and it, it, it was just so new at the time. I just felt like I I need to rip this bandaid off. You know, building all the code to grandfather everybody in and stuff like that. I, just, I thought it wasn't worth it. I could just lose the customer. You weren't afraid that it, this might be a, a decision that you might need to undo. I mean, I, you could undo it, but after having made the announcement and... Well, what I was prepared to do was offer deep discounts for anybody who they wanted um, so that it would effectively be grandfathering and having a similar price to it. But I didn't really get any pushback at all. I just had some people cancel and a couple of angry emails and that was it. And again, the user was small at that time. So, I mean, like early, I guess getting back to those early days, right? So you, you kind of get it out to your contacts, you go through this kind of six month period of beta usage, like... What were some of those first accounts? What, what did they look like? like or were we talking like teams of two or three, teams of 20, 50? Like how soon were you able to start to get significant revenue in the door? Yeah, um, significant revenue was, was six months in after that first customer in July of 2015. At that time, you know, I wasn't really going after the enterprise sales, even though those are the folks that were the initial beta users because I wanted the automated credit card sign up, make money when you sleep thing to work. You know, I wanted it to be low touch because I wanted to play with product and wanted to see colors and have it work for me and not do sales. I've changed, changed my tune on that, obviously. Um, but yeah, at the beginning, it was it, the initial sweep spot for teams has always been like 10 or 15 people for whatever reason, whether they're 10 or 15 people within the same team in a much larger company or a startup with 10 or 15 people. That's really the, the sweet spot for, for customers and always has been. What were your first kind of wins in terms of go, going beyond your personal network and personal referrals and getting new trials and new users in the door? Yeah, I think the first, the, the, the big wins were getting, um, I think probably going through the first enterprise sales cycles and getting a couple of big companies signed up. How soon into the life what, did you make? That was probably six months in. Okay. So, so pretty early on, you started to, to think about... Pretty early on. Yeah. I mean, but it was just, you know, one or two and it wasn't, I wasn't focused on it. I, again, I was focused on making sure the product worked well for self-service. And how, how did you go about getting into enterprise? Well, I, I think it was 
uh, MicroConf 2017 or 2016, I think it might have been 2016, where Nathan Barry gave a talk about how he, with ConvertKit, he just went, he wasn't having getting enough revenue and he just went out and did direct sales. Yeah, I talked to him all about that on, on this podcast a couple of weeks back, if, if people are interested. But yeah, I mean, you're right. What, what Nathan did in the, in the early days of, of ConvertKit, just person to person, you know, Trello boards, just get it done. Yeah. And I think he had a couple of examples where he was flying out and doing some unscalable things. And I realized that was something I needed to do. And I branched out a little bit more. I, I um, got some partnerships going with Slack, for example. So before Slack had the app directory, they had just a list of apps. Instead of Zero was in that list for a little while. And then it was one of the first apps into the, their app directory, which is now flooded with apps. But Yeah. But how did you go about starting to make those contacts, the, talking to the right people in the large enterprise organizations to get those conversations started? Yeah, that's a, it, it's a lot of luck and it was a lot of referral conversations. So I was very fortunate to have this network established before I built the app, which allowed me to kind of branch out and use that as a base for most of these conversations. Um, and then the partnerships helped as well. So... Like I said, being in the Slack app store gave the app a lot of credibility, as well as customers. And I also started working in a, at a WeWork, um, in a WeWork Labs, which is like a kind of a startup incubator with, where they just keep, don't give you any money or anything like that. It's just you're working with other entrepreneurs. And so I was just sitting around a bunch of startups as well, and I was sort of the, the old, older, weathered dude amongst all of the <laughs> younger kids working on these interesting things. And so... Um, uh, they would give me a lot of feedback and try things out and expose me to their networks as well. Very nice. Um, where did integrations play into all this? Because I mean, looking at your integrations page, it's it's almost like endless. Like <laughs> I'm seeing, I don't know what I'm like 50 different integrations here. So I mean, clearly that's been a uh, an important piece of of the puzzle here, right? Yeah, it's a very important piece of the puzzle. Well, the the long term roadmap for Status Hero is. The theme there is to help managers cut through the noise and give them insights to help them deliver better software. And that might be faster, it might be more efficient, whatever works for them. And so that means taking all of this data and giving them insights. And as you know, the more data you have, the better insights that you can give. So you know, a year and a half ago, or I guess about a year ago, I really started hammering and doubling down on the integrations and making sure that those all worked really well. How do you, like, is it based on user requests? Like, does it integrate with X, Y, and Z? And so that's how you start to understand, like, what to prioritize and work on? Yeah. I mean, like I said, I'm, I use the tool every day too. So, so, I mean, I started with the tools that my team uses, which are low-hanging fruit, really, because every, every, a lot of things, so things like Pivotal Tracker and GitHub, stuff like that, those were first. Um, connecting up um, Intercom, stuff like that, that helped as well. And then I just kind of went down the list of commonly used software development tools and started knocking them off. Did you, uh, or do you have any like rollout strategy when it comes to integrate? Like, you know, people talk about integration marketing as a channel. Like, do you do these like co-branded blog posts or announcements or things like that? Yeah, it's, some of them have been, um, I, I try and reach out to everyone that we do an integration with. And, um, the smaller companies are super receptive and put status here right up on their website and there's co-marketing and things go out to both email lists and stuff like that. Clubhouse is a great example of that. They make a, um, a project management app that's, that's very popular now. Um, Clubhouse integration, and they were great. Got a ton of users from them. They use the tool themselves, which always also helps. And that's how they found out about us and pushed us to do the integration. 
So those have been great. The other ones with bigger companies, so like Asana, for example, did an integration with Asana, went through all the mechanisms to get onto their marketing integrations page, and it's total crickets from their end. You know, I have an, like some, I think, streak CRM task that comes up every week, like check in with Asana, and I do. <laughs> hey, guys, this integration. Right. <laughs> I mean, what, what, once these big players get to that, that level, especially for project management apps where everybody wants to integrate with them, it's, it's got to be tough. Yeah. Um, I've also noticed that, you know, it is going to be more, again, you're getting into awareness marketing because Status Hero is not, um, it's so small at this point, like it's not on the tip of anybody's tongue. You're just kind of introducing them to the tool itself through these integrations. Um, yeah. So for example, we did an integration with GitLab and they featured us right into their, on their GitHub because of the Microsoft And I thought it was going to be this massive influx of users. And it wasn't at all. It was a slow trickle. Because again, you know, I think we're doing things like maybe making them aware. And I think maybe down the line, some of those folks will become customers. But I, I don't think people are going to these integration pages and just like clicking through and adding them right away. Yeah. You know, that's, that always kind of, I, I've always had this, uh, it always bugged me when people talked about like integration marketing as the answer to all of your marketing challenges. And I, I just never bought into that because I see integrations as, it's a, it's a product decision. It's, yeah, that you might get some random unexpected marketing benefit out of it, but it's, it's about being able to satisfy a customer's demand for having this integration. And you should be doing integrations, but not, not making that the centerpiece of your marketing strategy. You know? Totally, 100%, 100%. And again, that, that's the, the strategy with status here. The integrations are there to bring data into the tool so that we can help our customers with better insights. The marketing stuff is icing on the cake when it works. Right. Um, so, I mean, like big picture from start to finish here, and as we get into 2018, I mean, you know, you've been, you've been bootstrapping this the, the whole way through, correct? Whole way, yep. Has it been like the steady climb in, in revenue and comfort level and all that and, and like no hockey stick growth or, or big, big like spikes or anything like that? No hockey stick. There was a big spike when I changed prices. Right. Obviously, but um, that's now way over towards the bottom of the ramp now. And it's just a, it's a slow ramp. You know, the other, actually the other thing that comes to mind here is that staying profitable and keeping the margins healthy at this level. I mean, as you're ramping up, like you said that you're doing, you're still doing a lot of things yourself, the, the sales, the customer support. Is that becoming a bottleneck at, at some point? Like, are you like, it, does this look like it can continue to grow for a while without you growing the team? Uh, I, I think it does have a lot more room for growth before I need to grow the team. I do. I think there's still, still a lot of headroom there. And the reason that I, I'm holding back on that, and I'd probably be advised by a lot of people not to do that and to grow the team faster and spend that money now, is that I think taking on managing folks in, is a massive responsibility. Um, it takes a lot of mind share. Um, and it's something I don't, I don't take lightly. I've done it before. Um, and I'd like to be able to do that with just as much intensity and, and passion as I do everything else. So, you know, I've, I spent my whole career managing folks. So, I'm, you know, having a break from that for a little while has been great. So I'm sort of holding back on that until I have to. I hear you, man. I, I mean, like, it's, it's one of those things that, like, again, like in the startup world, it's like, oh, you got to grow your headcount. <laughs> I mean, you, you're in a beautiful position right now where it's like you're growing profitable and you don't have to grow that, those costs. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I do have help. I have um, you know the part-time help, which makes a difference. But do you ever run it? Do you ever run into like ability to ship as fast as as you want to or need to, or you know you, maybe you, you don't need to move as fast as other companies need to at this point? Yeah, um, I do run across that. There's there's some you know some things that have taken longer than I've wanted because of unanticipated obstacles, like for example GDPR, getting everything teed up for that. Um, that took a, a big chunk of time, which I would have rather had dedicated to making the product better and improving and adding some things. Um, so yeah, in that case, it would have been great to delegate a bit more. Um, the product could use the help for that. And I do see sometimes like, okay, well, this, this feature would have shipped a lot faster if I had three other developers working on this with me. But um, um, I don't know. I, I like doing that work. So what can I say? Hey, I don't blame you. So what's what's next? Like what's coming up as you, as we finish out the year, head into next year? What do you, what do you see kind of coming up in, in the trajectory of, of your work here? Yeah. So as you've seen, like there's been a big push to add all of these integrations. There's another big push now to get the Zapier integration to be much better using Zap templates, which is something that they provide. It's more developmental part, and to kind of once we've got um, more and more data collected to dig a little bit deeper into the insights and the reporting and try and really get at things that are going to help software managers deliver faster and better. And I think there's, there's plenty of data and low-hanging fruit that we'll attack first, but there's more aspirational stuff. I think there's some opportunities for machine learning and stuff like that and modeling, um, trying to anonymize our data and so you can kind of compare it to how other teams are delivering. Yep, so um, stuff like that. And, yeah, uh, like benchmark it. Awesome. Well, uh, well, Henry, you know, it's it's been a really, uh, really awesome story, inspiring for me, and I'm sure for a lot of listeners here. I love what you've been doing with, with Status here. Again, I've been using it. I think it's a great, great product, really useful if you have a even just a small team. So, yeah, thanks for coming on. And of course, it's statushero.com. Where else can people uh, connect with you? Uh, HenryPoydar.com, which has links to all of my Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and stuff like that. Awesome. Yeah, we'll get it all linked up in the show notes. So uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks, Henry. Cool. Thanks, Brian. Really appreciate it. All right. Now, before we wrap up, let me ask you, what'd you think of this one? Was it good? You learned something? Are there any other topics you'd like to hear me cover on this pod? Well, let me know. No, I mean, really, like, let me know. Hit reply on any of the emails that I sent you. I'll read every single one. I try to reply to everyone. What's that? Oh, you're not on my list yet. Okay, well, head over to my site, productizepodcast.com. You can get on my email newsletter that way. I'll send you, you know, new episodes and all the show notes, but I'll also send you my newsletter where I share all sorts of articles and other insights on entrepreneurship, building products, productized services, software, SaaS, and other cool stuff there. So yeah, check that out over at productizepodcast.com. And of course, if you have a minute, I'd really appreciate if you could head over to iTunes, leave a five-star review, or at least just five stars. You don't even have to leave a review if you don't want to, but that would really go a long way to helping other folks like us find this podcast. So yeah, thanks a lot for tuning in. I'll talk to you on the next one.